Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Lots to talk about on this market trade today. Unfortunately, it is not a pretty picture. As you look at the cattle market again and the feeder cattle, even the hogs as well, that pendulum just swung completely back the opposite direction. It seems to be hanging out there. We're going to find out what's going on. We know that there is some issues with some of the plants. We know that COVID-19 is having a huge factor. I'm wondering how much heavier can these cattle go as they wait to get to market with some of the delayed and even non-existent kill times that are going on. We're going to get all the details from Brad Coima. Brad is with Coima Coima and Varlick out of Sioux Center, Iowa. And what do we say about this cattle market, Brad? I mean, a lot of frustration for these cattle producers. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, I would share, echo, emphasize um um, all of that. I, I thought your little um, preview there was uh, was was interesting. In that, you know, <clears throat> I would like to think that that your listeners are probably savvy enough to understand that uh, livestock markets are different than really they're different than any other in in a, in a way, and and they're different because we're talking about a perishable item. Uh, we're talking about an item that goes out of suitability for the for who wants to buy them uh, and I, what i mean is you can store corn you can store soybeans right um uh, you cannot store cattle uh, nor can you store hogs um because they just grow bigger and bigger so uh you know the listeners going like geez brad tell us something we don't know well i've been pretty engaged here with um senators uh trade associations um, representatives, uh, Secretary of Agriculture, um, and there are varying levels. I'm not suggesting that Purdue doesn't get it. He understands, I think, the markets, of course. But, uh, you know, others, if you're not right in the middle of it, don't even appreciate this, what the risk is to the market if you're unable to harvest these animals on a timely basis. And I'm afraid, you know, the ability to kill uh, and harvest is certainly uh, the the market's number one concern right now, Susan. Well, we've got plants in, in Greeley, Colorado, in Grand Island, Nebraska. JBS is going to be closing those plants for two days. I'm sure to do some serious uh, cleaning and, and to try to come up with ways to protect their employees because they are such essential to this cattle industry. The Yes, and, you know, I can kind of... You know, and this is to the best of my knowledge, and, and you know, I, <clears throat> I'm not don't don't take this to the bank. But to my knowledge, uh, Greeley, Greeley and Grand Island are you know going through. A, they'll be dark today, tomorrow, an aggressive cleanup there that hopefully will resolve issues. Joslin was a plant uh, in Illinois. That's a Tyson plant. Is likely dark today, tomorrow. Also, may they might try it tomorrow, from what I hear. Uh, Tama, a national plant here in Iowa. Um, uh, it was going to open the 14th. They backed that up to the 20th. Um, I don't know that there's any plants that, well, I think some of the plants are, are running pretty well. Uh, in the south, I'd say a little bit better. I haven't heard that there's been uh, significant problems at the Cargill-Tyson or other national plants um, other than, I, I don't know that any of them would, would say that they're running at 100% efficiency because they are having some absentees. Um, so, yeah, that's that's uh, that that is a big issue. Now, last week's kill on the cattle very very small. Uh, the week before was six eighty five almost, and then last week is five thirty one. Yeah, you know, I, I think we have to kill about six and a quarter to kill the supply that we have. Um, so if you'd average the last four weeks together, we're easily there. But the, what the worry, of course, is that this would stay like this for a month or so. 
uh, it's going to be very difficult to not assume that we're carrying cattle into May and into June. Um, and, uh, of course, that's why the market was so poor today, I'm sure. We talked about this before we started the Fontenelle Final Bell, and I really wanted to bring this into the conversation because you look at the weekly numbers and the prices, and you brought up St. Joe, and let's talk about that formulated cattle price versus what we're seeing on the dressed market and what that really means, not only to, to non-cattle producers in ag, but just folks in general. Well, yeah, I, this is a USDA report. Um, I called St. Joe to make sure that I wasn't looking at the data uh, wrong. Uh, but, you know, the discrepancy between, well, you know, the, you know I'm a negotiated cash trader. You know that part of what I think is, is, is wrong with the market is the high volume of trade that the backer doesn't have to negotiate for. And it just struck me this week that looking at last week's data, the, the average price for steer and heifers, uh, if you had a formula for last week, was 186.08. Um, and the negotiated cash average price was 167.89. Yeah, the difference between 186 and about 168. Now, some of that, maybe you could explain a bit in that, well, you know, I suppose some of those formulas are lagged a week or two from when they were put in. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to make an excuse for it. Just look at the dif- difference there. It's uh, it's remarkable. So I think we can all do ourselves a favor uh, by negotiating more cattle or doing something about the discrepancy between the values of those two. Uh, I would like to say, though, that there are a few things. There are a few things that have me just a little bit encouraged or optimistic that, you know, the cattle thing could could get better if we can make the assumption here that that we can get this kill schedule somewhat close to normal. Looking at that kill schedule, though, I mean, and the the delays that we're seeing, at least we've got some Saturday kills out there that are trying to help to to pick up the pace. Correct. I uh, I think that the, the 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 Saturday kill, which I think is a is a is an extension of uh, the extreme profitability that the Packers are having, so they're they are highly incentivized. Um, to kill, uh, much like after the Holcomb fire. Uh, what actually, what I do hear is that there was a pretty nice cleanup over the weekend at the retail level. I understand that there's an improved uh, or a retail business to reorder. Uh, I'm not saying it was like it was four or five weeks ago, but I'm, I'm also hearing that it's better than it was two weeks ago. So you're starting to see some of this restocking coming back. And I also understand that the demand for some of this hamburger-type stuff from the fast food stuff, especially the fast food chains, you know, the drive through business, is also very, very good. When we come back, we're going to talk more about Smithfield and other things happening in the livestock before we look at the grains. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we continue our conversation with Brad Coima. Let's look at what was happening. We kind of left off talking about what's happening on the on the cattle side. And it is good to hear, Brad, that we're seeing a big push um, and a pickup in, for example, the beef consumption of hamburger for fast foods. But there has been a concern, and I had seen some readings again over the weekend, that bacon has taken a, a big fall because we don't have the sit-down restaurants and the consumption that's there. And then that kind of leads into everything that's happening on the pork side. Oh man, yeah that that bacon thing is is really a, a I don't even know what to, how to describe that anomaly. Uh, you know, I, I hear stories too of how some some places that stuff doesn't seem to be priced real competitively either. Unfortunately, um, 
yeah, I was, you know, just hoping that maybe some of that fast food business, it seems like you can't hardly order a sandwich at, at those places without the option of having bacon on it. But, yeah, the going out for breakfast, the, that sort of thing, it, it, it's the, the, the value of these cash bellies today finally came back up just a little bit. But it, it's a good thing we don't have pork belly futures or they've been at zero with the way that this belly market's broke lately. Has that put any pressure on these hogs considering everything else that's going on affecting this trade? Well, Oh, without a doubt, uh, without a doubt, the, it it seems like you know you've you've got your cutout value that that that's, has a hard time holding together, and frankly, the slaughter levels have been bigger than what most people, if they're honest, thought they were going to be. So I'm not even sure if we've got this supply right. I worry that we're we're we've got a little bit of a oversupply too because the weights are are a little bit bigger than a year ago too. So I wish I had a little bit more of enthusiasm or optimism on the hogs. But the only thing I can come up with is. You have seen an uptick in export demand. Um, the monster week last week, and a larger a chunk of it went to China. So we are moving some pork that direction, but we, we've got to get past the point where we're worried about being able to harvest it on a timely basis, and I hope things can start to improve. So speaking of moving pork, your neck of the woods as we head into Sioux Falls, South Dakota, with Smithfield being shut down for an indefinite amount of time, what does that mean for the industry? Uh, it's it's not good at all, you know, and it it uh, it has some of the same uh, swagger that the whole fire did. You're talking about a plant that almost four percent of the total kill uh, is what they is what they handle there, which is actually ironically pretty close to what the Holcomb cattle deal was in the cattle to the cattle ability to harvest. Um, I'm hoping that indefinitely is better than two weeks. Um, I understand that they are actively working within the local health officials there with uh, some of the um, government the uh, people that they're trying to figure out a way to expedite that place and make it a safer place to work uh, where they're there to open it up again. Um, I'm hoping that maybe the market would look at anything less than two weeks as maybe being positive. Um, I, you know, I, I don't want anybody to be in harm's way, of course, but we've got to, this is the food supply. Uh, and it's perishable, and I think we've got to figure out a way to, 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 to keep it moving. Over to the li- uh, grain side of the trade, obviously what's happening on the grain side, what's happening on the livestock side are, are merging together, not a marriage that we want to have to deal with. Um, no, and, you know, specifically I sat here and I thought, what should I talk about? Um, uh, there's actually a little bit of a dry spot in one part of South America. Uh, nobody wants to talk about that, um, but... Uh, you, you change the corn bean ratio by a lot. Um, I'm not going to get into the um, planning delay story because that last year I can still show you my scar from that baloney. Um, but um, I, I think the marketplace is struggling with the long speculator, the lack of one. Um, worried about you know this the utter disruption of business. Of course, the the corn thing, you know, it's its biggest Achilles heel. Of course, would be the energy, the ethanol industry, or lack thereof. Um, one could make an argument that there there might be some reason here that the beans would have just a little bit of value. Uh, I thought maybe the wheat would act better today with the cold temperatures, but I guess uh, it's hard to kill wheat uh, with that. But, you know, in another year, we probably would have got a little burp out of that worry about frost scare on the wheat. But um, I, I was at least encouraged that the corn held generally against that old low area, took it out by just a little bit, and then didn't have anywhere to go, it seemed like. The forward spreads worked a little bit on the corn. Corn today acted much better than the beans, but that isn't saying much for the market that was lower. Well, the ethanol margins remaining very poor. What do you see long-term for this market? <laughs> it's not rosy. Without some kind of 
so without kind of su- some kind of supply change on the corn, um, smaller acres or a weather problem uh, will be very difficult to get. I don't know. I guess I'd like to think we could get back to 380 on a weather scare, but uh, it will be hard-pressed to get much better than that. But I also have learned after all these years that when anybody says it's never going to happen again, then it usually happens quicker than you think. So, uh, you know, there's nothing that a recovery in the energy market to the point where it would become profitable to grind this corn back again. You are going to shift, obviously, with the lack of DDGs. You're going to shift some of that corn needs into back into feed column. And what's the best way for folks to get a hold of you, Brad? It's uh, 800 numbers, 800-358-3047. Thanks so much, Brad Coyman, joining us today. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve substantial risk of loss, not suitable for all investors. That is the Fontenelle Final Bell, brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all of your local Fontenelle dealers. Check it out as a podcast through our website at ruralradio.com, wherever you subscribe to your free podcast and on Spotify as well. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.